Hi, everybody. Welcome once again to the Long Distance Work-Life Podcast, the podcast where we try to help you thrive, survive, make some kind of sense out of remote and hybrid work and the way the world is going. Uh, I am Wayne Tremell, and Marissa is not here this week, which means we have a very cool, smart person to talk to besides me. And in this case, I am going to bring in Dan Kelson. He is the co-founder of Plexicam. He is also the host and guiding mind behind Next Future Today, the podcast and the consultancy. Dan, how are you, man? Great, Wayne. How's it going? Pretty well in the great cosmic scheme of things, but we'll see if we can't mess that up. Dan, you are... You call yourself a pragmatic futurist, and that's kind of where we want to go today, is we're in this weird maelstrom of returning to work, not returning to work, hybrid work. You know, it's it's kind of goofy at the moment. So sure. what I'm wondering is where the heck is this going? But first of all, you call yourself a pragmatic futurist. What the heck does that mean? Yeah, yeah. So... That's that's exactly why I call myself a pragmatic futurist. Is then we can have a conversation. So I, to me, I clever. Think there's, you've drawn me into your little web. Isn't that nice? A little hook. Gotcha. So I think there's there are a lot of um, there are a lot of futurists who are more sort of extreme optimism. Uh, and I'm not totally pessimistic, but I think that as much as <clears throat> I enjoy what the future has brought me from, you know, if I think back to my 10-year-old self and my 20-year-old self and my 30-year-old, and now I'm getting up there, you know, what I thought the future would bring to me, especially from technology, is a lot more than I, you know, it, the reality is actually much bigger than what I'd expected. I mean, I've read a lot of science fiction, I've seen <laughs> plenty of dystopian novels and movies and all that kind of stuff. But in general, I think what my strength is, is in finding future trends that I see early signs of and then I can help guide people into, look, there are some futures that maybe you didn't need to care about as a person or professionally or for your organization. You should be aware of them. There's others that who cares? It's not, it's not relevant to you. And there are others that, you know, the reason I created Next Future Today is sometimes things happen like COVID and you need to very rapidly adapt to something and that, that next future needs to start right now. So I think the pragmatic side is, don't just think about the future. Oh, isn't the future going to be awful or wonderful, depending on your, your standpoint? But what can you do about it and actually take a role in actively playing a part in that? Yeah, it, it's interesting that you mentioned COVID because certainly in the world of remote and hybrid work, that was one of those 9-11 bombing of Hiroshima, yes. just moments in time that you can point to and go, nothing is ever going to be the same after that right, right? and it wasn't yep. that things weren't trending towards remote work and all of those things but it pushed us across the rubicon way quicker right. than most people were ready for what do you because you and i were talking beforehand that we haven't even begun to figure out what the real long-term effects of the last three years are going to be right what do you see coming down the pipe that maybe we're not paying attention to well this i, I mean I, you know I've, I've watched some of your episodes and read some of what you, you've been doing there's a lot there's sort of a backlash towards you know remote remote anything or be on camera all the time is we need to be done with that which you know some days i feel the same so i've done a lot of innovation consulting in, in my life which is really uh 
So how, again, like to the pragmatic futurist side, how do you take advantage? When do you know that it's time to take advantage of something? And remote work has been possible. I mean, I remember installing dial-up modems. I don't remember what speed, but we installed a bank of dial-up modems for our consultants to be able to, you know, beam back to the mothership. And I used to be able to make the sound of the bippy bop of the uh, of the modems, which younger people don't know what we're talking about. That was the late '90s, you know, like right. mid late '90s. So, it, and that was—it's not like we were the first ones in the world to to ever do that either. So there are, like, uh, like we said before the before we hit record, I like William Gibson's quote: "The future is already here; it's just unevenly distributed." So there are—it's been possible to do remote work. Even people like me, probably you, uh, who did it early, doesn't mean that we're masters and that we are infallible, and we, you know, we always get it right, and we're the best people to ever possibly work with remotely. You know, it doesn't work that way, but. The more you have exposure to it, you know, it's hard to learn things with technology if you're not actively participating. Like you could hear remote work is possible, but until you actually know it, it's a very different thing. And with COVID, you had no choice. So it's all right, now you're on camera. Congratulations. You weren't expecting that. Two, you don't have a you probably don't have a space in your house where you want to be on camera, where there's not noise or weird things behind you. Like I certainly didn't have my background set up until COVID happened. So, you know, it's uh, until you actively take a part in that, you really can't know what you should be participating in and how to take advantage of it until you're in the moment. I think that that acceleration that happened with COVID, because, you know, we had Friday the 13th lockdown and then poof, then went three years. Uh, you know, it's it forced people to whether they wanted to or not, they needed to figure out how to work in a, in a new and different way. And, and in a lot of ways, I think that's very useful because it, it actually got people to take a step that it was long overdue in, in a lot of ways. Okay, so as we think about the future, you are also the author of a book called The Gen Z Effect, and it's kind of a radical notion. If you're going to talk about the future, maybe pay some attention to people who still have one as opposed to those <laughs> of us who are near the end of our journey. Uh, and, and, and I'm not being facetious about that. I, I yeah. think a lot of the Sturmendrang around return to work has been driven by senior leadership, management, business people who are pining for the before times. Right. But one of the things, and, and when I say this, I get these horrified looks on people's faces. We're now going into, you know, used to be youngins, you taught them how to work in an office and and that's how they got interned and everything else. Well, we now have four, four years of new hires coming out of college who don't know what it means to have worked in an office or at right. least in the way that you and I did back right. in the day. So tell me real quick, what did you kind of discover in the Gen Z effect and what does this mean going forward for the workplace? Yeah, so we wrote the Gen Z effects uh, in 2014. So uh, that was way before COVID, way before I don't think Zoom existed, or if it did, it was it was incredibly early. <clears throat> so the uh, it is one of the topics that we talked about in the book. Uh, I interviewed uh, a buddy of mine, Justin Levy, who I believe was at Citrix at the time, about remote work and what that meant. You know, I, like I didn't grow up in a, in a manufacturing role like you know earlier generations might have done you know, you know where you gotta get you have to get dirty and dusty and in loud environments and all and 
I think that's generally a good thing because <laughs> we're, we're moving towards, you know, knowledge work and more experiential things that don't necessarily threaten your life by, you know, losing a limb from some massive machine. So uh, I do think there's, you know, there's unfortunate, I mean, my, my oldest daughter turns 21 in a month. My youngest is 18. So they had to live in, you know, school settings in a very different world than I certainly had or, or you had in the very formative years of high school or college. On the one hand, it was terrible, and there's probably a whole bunch of damage that's been done to them behaviorally and, you know, uh, and otherwise. On the other hand, younger generations have been taught that teamwork is a thing, that you need to be good at it, that, you know, like you do larger projects with other people, and therefore you need to know how to do that. So I think in a lot of ways, they're much better equipped to, and as far as what they've experienced in team-based work that they're going to be needing to do in the, in the future, because nobody, you know, things are moving so fast, everything's accelerating. No one person knows everything and can do everything. So you really need to, to me, uh, part of the underpinning of the Gen Z effect is you need to leverage the strengths of whoever is part of your team, young or old, you know, it doesn't matter where they are in the planet. How do you bring out the best out of them? And then use that as a wedge to drive forward into the future instead of just, you know, uh, you, you're you're too old, you're too young, you're too old, you know, that doesn't work very well. So maybe we can do better things together. Absolutely. So let me hold your feet to the fire a little bit. I mean, it's wonderful to say, oh, don't we all have these fabulous strengths? And we do. And we should learn from each other. And we should. But in a purely practical basis, in a world where you aren't in the office 24-7 and, you know, five days a week, mm -hmm. how do we bring the new hires of the world on? How do we onboard them? How do we incorporate and orient them so that they become productive, fabulous members of our teams quicker? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I so one of the things I hope is a strength for me is I like to take a look at what's happening in sort of the consumer world and bring it to the enterprise. Most of my work has been on the enterprise side. So how do those things uh, you know, sort of bridge between both sides? So I've paid a lot of attention to what is onboarding like from like I'm a, I happen to be a gamer. Video games do a really great job of onboarding people because if they don't, they don't make money. You know, the, the, the long game is you have a subscription or you buy, a, you know, a season or whatever. And if you have not engaged your people to get over that hump, to be onboarded and have some idea what they're doing, you can't milk them <laughs> for money over, over a longer period. And that, or that's exploit their blood, sweat and tears for years as employees. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, that's wait. You're, you're the, you're the pessimistic futurist. I'm supposed to be the pragmatic and <laughs> semi-optimistic. But so from an, um, I, you know, I think unfortunately for enterprises, there's not a lot of, you know, we've, we got lazy in doing onboarding for new hires. When you're there in person, you can sort of, you know, you can make up for not really a formal onboarding process by just being there. So they can ask questions of the person in a cubicle next to them or whatever, you know, in the lunchroom, outside, whatever. And it's definitely harder to do that if it's purely virtual, unless you put some thought into to making that happen. You know? And it doesn't have to be hideously formal. Like uh, I'm not a big fan of like governance teams that have 30 people that meet once a quarter or something really intense like that. Just set some baseline of, you know, like we do like stand-ups from the agile world, totally applied. They can, it's not only for developers. You could do that with your marketing team or your 
finance team or whatever. And that's one way to get people to know each other, which I think is the biggest piece of onboarding is you need to get to know other people in your organization. And by virtue of that happening, you will figure things out on your own. I think that's it shouldn't be on the employee to have to figure it out. It should be supported by smarter than usual managers and policies that have at least some bare bones to them. But it's, you know, you got to put pieces in there where you can connect people. It doesn't matter if they're in the office, online, or some situation where they're doing both and, you know, working in an office two or three days a week and not the rest of the time. But you need to build little bridges so that you can get people out of, you know, maybe a maybe they had a bad experience right out of college and their you know their first job was terrible you know it just whatever it was didn't work out so that experience is going to color them coming to your organization some way is good and some way is bad probably so what can you do to give them an expectation of of what it's supposed to be like and how and not just what it's supposed to be like you would find in an interview but the reality is, you know, we do have meetings that are on Monday afternoons and we're expected to talk about what happened in the last week and anything that we ran into, you know, anything that gives you some some structure so that it's not totally up to the individual to try to figure out the probably ungodly mess that's your organization. Well, it's interesting, too, because I think we make some assumptions about Gen Z and millennials. My daughter is, uh, you know, the poster child for millennial, at least age-wise, right? She turns sure. 30 this year. Okay. And I, I think we make some assumptions, you know, because these darn kids text instead of talking that they don't want in person or, and in fact, that's not true. What we're finding right. is, and it makes perfect sense in the beginning stage of your career, when you're young, when you don't know anything, you want more human contact, you want mentorship and you want socialization and want to meet right. people and you know, all that stuff right when yeah. you're a middle-aged goof who's near the end of his career and you want to be left alone to get your work done remote work is a beautiful thing <laughs> right yeah yeah so you can be a hermit in your virtual world <laughs> exactly but but talk to me about what gen z thinks of you know socialization in the workplace what are they looking for that we need to give them if we want them to be good and we want them to stick around and all of that stuff. Yeah, all of that's a multi-hour conversation <laughs> potentially. Have you heard of the golden rule that you should treat people as you'd like to be treated? There's a platinum rule that yes. you should treat people as they want to be treated, which is unfortunately not done all that often in in my opinion. Um you know, like there's I, you know, I've watched some of your recent episodes, the question of should your camera be on or not when you're in a meeting or a conference, you know, whatever it happens to be, there's different situations where absolutely you should always <laughs> have your camera on, probably. And there are certain situations where it's it's optional and maybe it's useful to have an official day that nobody has to be on camera. And it just takes a little burden off of people. So to the point of, you know, those darn kids, all they do is text each other and send memes and, you know, you know, and they're just on TikTok all day, all that kind of stuff. That's true. Older people are as well. <laughs> you know, we're, we're all addicted to our smartphones. What would we do without them? I don't, I don't know how I would ever get anywhere I needed to drive to if I didn't have GPS that told me exactly where to go, like a voice in my head. But that doesn't mean that they're, you know, it's, it's a different channel to communicate through that is maybe foreign and weird for older generations. Uh, and one of the, uh, aside from the platinum rule, one of the things that we talk about in the book is reverse mentorship, because we normally talk about mentors as 
the old mentoring the young, which is very useful, also doesn't happen nearly as often as it should. But, you know, I can learn from my kids. You can learn from your kids. You can learn from other people's kids. You know, what is their experience? What is some piece of that that might apply to you? Because maybe it's actually more effective to just text somebody than to send an email or give them a call because maybe they're already on another call. Why not learn from all the experiences that are possible and then purposely decide this is how, like, if you and I were working together, how do we want to communicate? That was one of the videos you guys posted most recently is what are the rules? Anyhow, uh, you know, can can we agree on, you know, look, we, we need to have a, you know, a video, you know, camera on, one-on-one -on -one conversation on a monthly basis so we know how I'm doing in my job and you can give me feedback. Um, if we don't state that ever, then it's going to be a surprise, especially in the part of the employee. And that's usually not a, it's not a great feeling. And I don't think it's really the right kind of tenor. Well, and, and I think that whole notion of the platinum rule, and I'm a passionate believer in that. I, I think the flip side of that is yes, we need to understand what they want. And it's incumbent on us to explain why we want what we want, right? We're yeah, not yeah. doing it because we're old and we're always right. And we're not doing it because we're inflexible. Sometimes that's the right thing to do. And here's why, right? right. But I think those conversations are, are what we aren't having. So Dan, thank you very much. As I mentioned, Dan is the co-author, to be fair, of the Gen Z effect. He's also the host of Next Future Today. We will have links to all of that in our show notes. So Dan, I'm going to bid you a quick adieu for a moment and just remind everybody that those show notes are available at longdistanceworklife.com. If you have enjoyed the show. If you are a longtime listener, please like and subscribe. You know how this stuff works. It's important for us to show up on search engines and the like. So help us out, like and subscribe. You can also reach out to either Marissa or myself, LinkedIn, email, whatever works for you. We are also always looking for pet peeves and questions for future episodes. And of course, if you have not yet checked out Kevin Eikenberry and my new book, The Long Distance Team, Designing Your Team for Everyone's Success, you might want to check that out and you can get more information at longdistanceteambook.com. All right, that is it, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Thank you for listening. Uh, we will be back in our next episode with Marissa. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your support. And don't let the weasels get you down.